The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Uh, we'll be in Acts 26. So if you guys want to turn there, that'd be great. Acts 26. I want to remind you guys that uh, we will have a first Wednesday of prayer um, coming up in October. And it's going to be our last one for the year, just the way the calendar kind of falls this year. Um, but it's uh, the first Wednesday of the month we've tried since probably February um, to have these nights where we come and we just sort of sit in the presence of the Lord. And um, I know that's hard um, to do, and it's hard to even think about that maybe in the middle of the week. And maybe some of us have some really bad ideas in our head of prayer meetings when we were kids or something. Uh, But I just want to encourage you, this is a great time of, I guess, just building you up, I think. And and like I said, kind of coming and just sitting in the presence of the Lord. It's very low-key. We have a lot of worship that goes on during those nights um, and uh, opportunities for people to pray with you. And I know that if I had you raise your hands right now and I said, hey, how many of you would like someone to pray with you? Or how many of you feel like you need to spend a little more time in prayer? Pretty much all of us would raise our hands. And uh, so we're trying to schedule these prayer nights where we're able to just really concentrate uh, on the Lord and on prayer. So I want to encourage you to be there. If you um, sponsor one of our kids through the Uganda sponsorship, uh, we're going to have a special time uh, of prayer during that night for our kids. And uh, also see a bit of the video that they um, have made uh, coming back from Uganda about child sponsorship. So it's going to be a little bit of a unique night. And I just wanted to kind of throw it out there and, and remind you about that and invite you to be here with us. So Acts 26, we're doing Pathways right now. Even last week when Trevor was here, we're still in this Pathways thing about uh, growing up in the Lord, maturing in the Lord, uh, growing up in your relationship with Christ. Um, and, and again, maybe that's a way for you to connect with this or to understand this, uh, that you, know, you can have relationships that remain very immature, right? And uh, we want our relationship with God to grow and to, and to grow up with us and to mature um, and to become, I guess, sort of long-lasting um, and have a backbone to it, right? So it can stand up under the pressures uh, of life. So we're in pathways right now. It's about maturing in the Lord, growing up. And I don't want it to be just like a, a church phrase, this pathways idea or something that we kind of pick up here and we leave and we walk out. Um, but it's really primarily, I want you to see it as, um, as seeing Christianity primarily as growing into a loving relationship with Jesus, so whatever, if I asked you to define Christianity right now, and you were say, oh, Christianity is about going to church or learning how to pray or getting close to God, I want you to think about it. Maybe part of our lingo can be uh, we want to see Christianity as being growing into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know for some of us that language is just absolutely foreign. Um, and try, we had a, a men's book study that we're doing on on uh, Wednesday nights, and, and I could tell as we were talking, you know, the struggle within our, our guys as we were just trying to, put into words what it means to love God and how to get to know God better and, and, and live in this loving relationship with him. It's so hard for us to even kind of say it. So I just want you to think about pathways is the tools. They're the tools that we're putting into your hands to kind of learn what it means and what it looks like uh, to grow in this loving relationship um, with God. So converts, if you go look at our growth goals, Um, which is where those things come from. Being converted, being a true follower of Christ is where all of that 
begins. It's how you get on the road. So for some of you, you're thinking, yeah, I'd love to grow in my relationship with Christ. I'd love to be baptized. I'd love to look into those things. What I'm going to tell you is, is that this all begins with coming into, getting into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That that's how you get to God. That's how you get on the path to becoming like Christ and learning what it means to love God is to come through Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, the cross, etc. We call that the gospel. And so that's the first thing that, that many of us need to just stop at is that there is good news for you that Christ has died on a uh, cross for your sins to take away your sins. All the things you've ever done bad, all the things that keep you from loving God, uh, from having a loving relationship with him, Christ came to take those things away. And uh, when we trust in that, we put our, our, our weight on that. We believe in what he's done, and we trust that that's the way you get to know God and get rid of your sins. Um, that's how you get on this path to loving God and going into a personal relationship with him. So that's kind of how it all starts. And for some of you, you just need to start there. That's it. You don't need to think about church or anything else I'm really going to say this morning. You need to just start with, have I ever placed my faith, my trust in what Christ has done for me? Um, that's the only thing you might need to hear this morning. So that's where we get started, but then we get past that. Um, and we want, as believers, we want to take that uh, good news, that message that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and we want to take it with us and give it to other people. Kind of like what we just sing in that song. We want to give ourselves away to this mission of letting people know um, about God's love for us. But again, if I asked you to raise your hands, and I'm like, how many of you, when you even think about talking to somebody about Jesus, you get sweaty palms and your belly button puckers up and you're like, oh my gosh, what if they hate me or they think I'm weird or they tell me to be quiet or I offend them? God forbid we offend anybody in 2018, you know? And we're like, what if I offend them by something that I say? And we get really nervous and anxious about even thinking about sharing the gospel with people and the good news, our relationship with God, which is really what I think I want you to kind of wrap your head around. If Christianity is all about growing into a loving relationship with God, doesn't that make that a little easier to talk about than rights or wrongs or facts and proofs about the gospel and God and all that kind of stuff? Like you wouldn't get all nervous if I said, hey, describe to me uh, your relationship with your kids or with your spouse. You would go, oh my gosh, I love this person. They're the best thing in my life. They're just the light of the world. Da, 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 da. You wouldn't get all worried about that. It would just kind of flow out of you. Same thing in our relationship with God, that there's this, we're going into this loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and we want to give that away to other people. So sometimes, again, like I said, we get nervous, and then our culture just layers complications on it. Um, the, the culture that we live in can make this even more difficult. We're in the middle of these Brett Kavanaugh hearings right now. So whether or not, however you feel about it and wherever you kind of land on this right now, he had, he's had several very interesting uh, interviews on Capitol Hill. And one of his answers a couple of weeks ago just kind of stuck out at me. It was September 5th. And he said, my personal beliefs aren't relevant to how I decide cases. If you walk into my courtroom and you have the better legal arguments, you will win. Now, I think what's interesting about that is that, A, that is a complete, if he's ever lied on the stand, he lied right there because our personal beliefs absolutely affect everything that we do. You, you can't get away from it, and we need to quit trying to get away from it. We need to make sure that our personal beliefs are accurate, right, and that they're God-honoring, and then let them influence everything that we do. But this is the pressure that we have in our culture right now, right? That we want this hard separation between personal beliefs and public policy. 
personal beliefs and public behavior. It's okay what you do on the weekend. It's okay what you do with God in your prayer closet, but don't, don't pour that on me, right? Don't impose that uh, on me and in my point of view in my life. So it is one of our pressure points in our culture, and it introduces this very particular pressures, tension for Christians, you know, um, that as children of our culture, we were being raised and, and surrounded by this culture all the time, we value highly, matter of fact, and the further down the age scale you go, the higher value it becomes, we value different people's perspectives, and we don't want to be offensive in how we present something to someone or tell somebody they're wrong, that kind of thing. So it's, it creates a particular kind of pressure for us. We have a secular belief that wants to separate the secular and the spiritual. Now, for those of you who are Christ followers, I'm going to give you your biblical worldview lesson 101 today. There is no such thing as secular and spiritual. That is a false separation. Do you understand that as Christians? Everything you do is touched by your Christianity. Everything. There's nothing secular that you do. You may be in a secular environment, but that doesn't mean that what you're doing suddenly is divorced of your Christianity. You're taking your Christianity into a secular environment. But our culture says, no, 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 there has to be a hard wall between these two things. We want the secular and the spiritual separated. And then again, there's just this value of the personal versus the public right now. That we want to value uh, I would say a devotional following of Jesus, you know, um, it's cool if you love Christ and it's cool that if you want your life to look like Christ, but that doesn't belong in the public arena. Um, and so we kind of feel those pressures quite a bit, I think, as we think about talking to people about this loving relationship with God that we have. Um, so Christianity, what I, I guess I want to start out here with is that Christianity following Christ has to comprehensive shape our entire, comprehensively shape our entire lives. Everything that you do has to be shaped and touched by and changed by the fact that you are a Christ follower. It has to comprehensively shape your entire life, okay? So on the one hand, we call the belief system orthodoxy. We want to be right in what we believe. There's something called orthopraxy. We want to be right in what we do. That's your Christian worldview, Okay? I want to be right in the things that I believe, biblical in the things that I believe. But when I walk out of this place and I'm no longer in the laboratory, which is what this is, I'm no longer in the laboratory with people that, that agree with me. And I walk out there and I go to my family or I go to my job or I go to my school or whatever my environment is. I want to make sure that I'm living out what I say I believe, that my behavior matches up to my right beliefs, right? So that's kind of what we're the tension that we find ourselves in, I think, as Christians. Not only do we naturally get a little nervous about sharing Christ, but we have this worldview around us, this culture around us that doesn't value sort of that dissonant um, point of view, I guess is what I would say, uh, that's direct contrast to, to often to what their uh, point of view is. So it makes it difficult for us as we think about talking to people um, about Christ. So I don't think we're, honestly, I think we want to, excuse ourselves as if we live in some unique time in history. I think there are some things that are unique about where we're at, but there's nothing new under the sun, right? Christians have been on the outside of culture from the beginning. Like by definition, we're on the outside of culture in a lot of ways. And so I think we can kind of go back and look at Paul, look at the first century, look at how the church got started, um, look at some of the things that Paul even did at 2,000 years ago. And even though our situations are different, 
You're going to see Paul and you're going to see, man, he took real risk here. Like what you and I think is risky, I don't think would, would hold a candle to what Paul did in terms of the risks that he took to talk to people um, about this loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So there is real risk involved. There is real pressure involved. And I don't want to read this story we're going to read today as if it's a fairy tale. This is an actual historical event that happened that I think gives us some perspective and maybe some helps uh, on where we're at when we try to talk to people um, about God. So we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 25. We'll start in 25. We'll be in 26 for the most part. But the very end of chapter 25, look at verse uh, 23. So on the next day, we're actually jumping into the story kind of in the middle of it. But so on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. So I'm just going to set it up. So Paul has been arrested and he's been arrested because he's been sharing about God. He's been sharing about Christ specifically and the Jewish leaders don't like it. And there's actually some civic city leaders who haven't liked it. And so they complain to like the town mayor, let's just say. And the mayor doesn't know what to do with him. So he brings him to the king. He takes him to the king. He's like, so Paul's in chains. And it's going to reference that later in the, in the text. So he gets brought in with all the pomp and the circumstance. And he's been arrested for talking to people about his relationship with Christ. There is real risk here. Right? And again, I've never been arrested. I've never been threatened with being arrested. I've been made fun of or called a name or something like that. And maybe somebody looked at me out of the corner of their eye like I'm some simpleton because I have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But I've never been put in chains. So Paul's got real risk happening here when he goes to these people and he talks to them uh, about Christ. So that kind of sets the, the stage for you. So he's got Festus, which is the kind of the mayor guy, the Jewish leaders, and King Agrippa. And I want to see what we can learn here from this story and from Paul's interaction with these people. Probably follow up a little bit last week also also with what Trevor um, shared with us. So why are we even concerned with this here at the Sanctuary Fellowship? Kind of why do we care, right? Um, why Why does it matter to us what we talk to other people about? I think it's a core value here. Um, that the sanctuary would be a place where people who are not believers, um, or maybe they're not sure about what they believe, can find questions answered. They can have their doubts and their difficulties respected and their struggles sort of anticipated. I think we want to be a group of people who when somebody comes into this place and they're like, man, I don't believe that or I'm not sure what I believe about Christ. We're like, hey, you and I are on the same road. You and I are on the same path. We are trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Would, would you walk with us? Right? We want this to be a place where people can walk in and have that kind of experience. So this is a high level of importance for us. We want to be a place like we have it out on our sign out front and everything where we want to live, love, and give hope to people. That all goes back to uh, the good news about Jesus Christ and our relationship with God through Jesus. So this is a high level, high value um, issue for us. So we've got to kind of train ourselves to sort of put, to make secondary, I think, our desires for church and meet those people who are coming in from the outside. So we're going to talk a little, this is more about when people walk in here, 
And we'll talk about when we walk out of here in just a moment. But we kind of have to put aside our desires for church and kind of raise up just a little bit meeting those people who are on the outside. Now, I'm not talking about some of you. Again, you have hackles going up and your hair stood up on your neck and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to become a secret sensitive church and start playing U2 music on Sundays, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Here's, here, we're not going to do the laser show, okay? We're just not going to go that direction. But here's what I want to explain, I guess, to you where we're kind of coming from on this. If we don't, if we don't come in here on a Sunday morning and expect people to walk in our doors who don't know Jesus Christ and kind of gear ourselves a little bit to having the gospel be at the forefront of everything that we do, the good news about Christ, and meeting people where they are, and talking to them about the difficulties of life in a real way, here's what will happen. We're going to become insular. Do we know what that word means? We're going to insulate ourselves. It's called the fortress mentality. We're going to begin to see church as a place where Christians gather to be safe. We're going to begin to see these four walls as the place where we come to congratulate each other on the fact that we're right. And we'll be insular, which means we're going to want to keep out anything that disagrees with us. We're going to want to push out of this room anyone that doesn't just come along and do things exactly the way that we do them the minute that they walk in. So we'll become insular. We'll become self-protective, right? We'll have holy cows, and I mean that. We'll literally have holy cows, things that become untouchable, things that we can't do, things that we just, there's no way we're going to go a certain direction or certain this or certain that. And we'll become self-protective of the things that are here now. And let me tell you what happens to those churches. They die. Once that generation who appreciates and loves those particular things goes away and dies, that church dies. So this is what's at stake for us as we talk about these things today. As we discuss being open and able and ready and willing and prayerfully broken about the people who come into our lives who don't know Jesus Christ, this is what's at stake. Not just this little C church, but the big C church. We have got to keep our head up above waters and recognize there is a world of people who don't know Jesus Christ. There's a world of people who need to know this loving relationship with God through Jesus. And we're called to be a part of that, which we will talk about as we go on. So we have to be prepared to meet these people where they're at. So we're going to look at Paul and maybe what we can learn a little bit from his adventure here, um, this predicament that he finds himself in, in, in chapter 25 and 26. So just flip the page. So he's in this public forum. Uh, he's um, being given an opportunity, I guess, to sort of make his case to talk about what it means to follow Christ, his message that he's been proclaiming to people. Um, he's got an opportunity to share that um, as we get into chapter 26. So chapter 26, uh, look at verse 14. And it says, he's, he's already talking about his story, and he says, When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, which is Paul's other name. He's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Listen, this is what Jesus is like. I'm giving you your marching orders, right, to, to Paul. To rescue you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith 
in me. So that's kind of Paul's message. And it's been pretty clear since we saw him come to Christ way back in the middle or the beginning part of Acts. That's been his message throughout. So he's in front of these people and he's like, here's what I've been telling people about. And he kind of tells his story and tells the story about what Christ has given him to do, uh, the message that, that Christ has given him. So it looks really easy for Paul, I think. You know, we read this and we're like, man, I kind of wish I could do what Paul did. So we're like, well, Pastor Joe, what do I say? When I'm in front of people and I have this opportunity to potentially tell somebody about my loving relationship with God through Jesus, when that happens to me, what do I say? Here's the first thing I want to tell you. Don't say anything. Just listen. I think sometimes we, and, and is any, I'm just going to go back a little bit. Did anybody ever go through EE or CWT? Pop your hands up. Okay. Awesome on the one regard because I still feel sort of eminently prepared if I ever have to get into a, a conversation. But on the bad side, I always felt like I was selling Amway to somebody. It was this directed, pointed conversation that at some point or another always got awkward at some point, And I just felt like I was selling something to someone. And so a lot of us are like, man, I don't want to be in that place. It's awkward and it feels kind of weird. You know, how do I, what do I say to someone? And I think the thing that was missing a lot of times in those presentations was I wasn't hearing. I wouldn't even take time to listen to them. I was trying to get from A to B and let him buy the knife set before I walked out of the house. I think a lot of times we'll do ourselves a ton of help in talking to people about Christ if we'll just listen. So let me give you some for instances what I'm talking about. Really, really listen to what they're saying. What do they need? Because, you know, the gospel, the good news of Christ, hits so many different parts of our lives. Um, it, can, it can impact so many varied parts of our, of our lives. So let me just throw some things out. What is the person you're talking to? They're like big on right and wrong. Like they don't understand why the world is so broken. They don't understand how somebody could hurt them so badly. There's a, there's a need for justice in their lives. What if you hear that and the Holy Spirit's talking to you and they're like, man, talk to him about the justice that comes through the cross of Jesus. Talk to him about the gospel and the good news that Jesus is going to make everything right. There's justice in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Redemption. Man, I feel like a loser. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I can never earn what Christ has for me. Good, because Christ has redeemed you. He's already bought you. You don't have to work for it. Redemption is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about joy? Man, life is just hard and I'm sad. Like I can't get past this pain in my life. Man, I get it. There is a joy unspeakable in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys see what I'm saying? You can't throw this stuff out there. I'd rather not do a shotgun approach to witnessing anymore, right? Where you're just, you know, shotgun... Some of you girls are like, I don't shoot weapons. Okay, so shotgun, shells just fly, little tiny BBs. They just fly out everywhere, right? And if you're about 20 feet away, it's going to pepper you, but it's not going to take you down. I would much rather have a rifle approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Where I am finally settled, you know, tuned in and aimed in on some sharp aspect of someone's life that the Holy Spirit has enlightened me to because I've listened. And when I give the gospel, man, it cuts right to the core of where they're at you got to listen to get to this point. So there's redemption, there's justice, there's joy, new creation. I feel dirty, right? I feel like I'm just broken and messed up. Yeah, you are, man, and God can recreate you. He can remake you. He can restore the things that have been taken from you, amen? That's in the gospel. 
I don't have family. I don't have anybody to turn to. I don't have anything in this world that gives me a sense of belonging. God wants to adopt you as his son and daughter. There's family in the gospel. Love. I don't feel like anybody cares about me. I think this world is a hateful place. It is. There is a love that overcomes all of it, and it's in the gospel. And Jesus has shown us what that looks like on the cross. Unified with Christ, I feel alone and like nobody is a part of my life. You can be literally unified, one with Jesus. It's all in the gospel. But i got to listen to hear that stuff come out of people so that I know which parts of the gospel to take and to give to them. There's like aspects of the gospel and there's facets of the gospel, right? It's all this one beautiful thing, but if I look at a different piece of it in a different light, it shines a little bit of a different truth. And as I listen to people, I can say, hey, but look at this part of the gospel. Does that make sense to everyone? So it's all that we got to listen to what people are saying. I would encourage you to, to use what I would say are gospel metaphors, which is what Paul does here. At no point in his little initial speech does Paul say, Jesus Christ died on a cross from our sins, and if you believe in him and trust in him, you'll go to heaven. He didn't say that at all. He talks about their eyes being open, turning from darkness to light, freed from the power of Satan to God, being redeemed. These are the words that he uses. They're metaphors that stand in the place of help communicate the hardcore truths, facts of the gospel. So you've got to be really genuinely interested in where these people are at. So most people have a big radar to know if you're selling them Amway or you're selling them Jesus or you care about them. And nobody wants to be the object of your sales approach. Right? I don't know. Does anybody remember Amway? I'm beating on Amway today. So I remember when Mindy and I got married, we moved to Tucson, Arizona. And we were poor. And this couple in our church, an older couple, asked us to come over. And we were like, oh my gosh, how sweet. They asked us to come over. I don't remember their names. I could describe them to you, but I can't remember their names. And they asked us to come over, and we have dinner. And like halfway through, they're like, and do you like how this is stored? We have some vitamins for you. You know, and they start going into this spiel about buying all their stuff. And Mindy and I were kind of like, oh, we just wanted to have dinner, you know? Just wanted to hang out and get to know you guys. And people know when you're doing this to them, you know? And so I think we want to be real careful that we're not making people objects of a sales pitch with the gospel. Do I think the gospel is worth selling to people? Absolutely. It's the most amazing thing that can ever happen to anybody, right? But when you're denigrating the, the image of Christ, of the image of God in somebody else by making them an object of a sales pitch, that's not the way this is intended to be, right? We'll talk about this. We'll talk about this more as we get going. I just want to kind of beat that into us a little bit this morning. We want to have relationships with people and listen to them and kind of hear their story. Look in chapter uh, 26, verse 24. So Paul is talking, and he goes in his verses 19 to 23. It's this kind of long. He, he starts talking about the gospel. He goes way back to the Old Testament in some ways. Tells his story, resurrection of Christ. He gets to 24, and he says, So while Paul is saying this in his defense, Festus, the mayor, speaks up in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters. This is really an interesting turn in the conversation. He turns from Festus and he directs his words toward the king. And he says, For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And this whole thing just turns on a dime, man, where he's in this room and there's this, he's in court in some ways. It really is sort of a court appearance. And he starts to make a personal appeal to the king about whether or not he believes everything that Paul's saying. That's re- it's really an amazing turn that Paul does here as he goes for King Agrippa at this point. So you're like, man, some of us are like, man, I just cannot do this. Not only am I very ill-equipped to talk to people about Christ, I'm just a broken person. Like I think if they look to, the people who know me, if they know too much about me, they'll know my brokenness and it'll kind of devalue the gospel. And it won't give weight. Like I have to be sort of perfect, right? To talk to people about Christ. And I want to point out to you here about, uh, about uh, Paul. Paul's not in a good place. Paul can't stand here. This is what I love about Acts. Paul can't stand in front of Agrippa and say, you know what? You know what, Agrippa? If you'll just believe and say a prayer, and you can have your best day today. Say, I'm in chains. It's awesome following Jesus. Don't you want to do this? This is my best day. He doesn't have to sell him that because he can look at him and say, I'm in chains, but really I'm free. And Agrippa, you can be free too. He can talk to him about the truth and the heart of the gospel because he's divorced it from the selling points that we try to give people a lot of times. So he's able in his chains and his brokenness, he's able to kind of look at him and say, man, this is not a good time. Right? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten, left for dead twice in my life. The Jews hate me. They've tried to kill me three times. I'm now arrested. I'm probably going to end up in Rome in, under house arrest. Agrippa, don't you believe everything I'm telling you about Jesus? Because even though I'm in chains, I'm free. God uses broken people. And I want to tell you something. Listen, they're the best messengers. The best messengers for the gospel are those that are broken. Those of us who are probably the most messed, most messed up in life because we're walking gospel messages. Your life and your story of brokenness, not that you've got everything together, but you can look at somebody and go, you are no worse off than I am. I am the most broken person in the room. We can have broken, you know, a broken playoff series if you'd like to, but I'm just as messed up as you are. Thank God for the grace of God that I don't have to earn anything from him. He's already given it to me in Jesus Christ. Those people are the best messengers of the gospel. Those of us who still get it, that we're so messed up and we're so broken and we didn't deserve this and we don't earn it. And we don't have to try to keep it, right? When saved by grace, now I got to work really hard to keep it. I'm saved by grace. I'm sustained by grace. So those broken people are sometimes the very best messengers for the gospel of Christ. Paul has been beaten and shipwrecked in prison, falsely accused, attacked for things that he hasn't done, and yet he persistently and he consistently lives out and speaks the gospel to people. Despite his brokenness, despite his pain, I want you to just look at Paul and see this perseverance and this commitment. Paul is so interesting, and and the, the Jews just hated him, right? And they tried to kill him multiple times. And when he writes Romans, he says, Man, my heart is broken for my countrymen. My heart is broken for my fellow Jews. I wish they would come to know Christ. I would give everything if my fellow Jews could come to know Jesus Christ. He's just broken by their brokenness, right? And by how far away they are from the Lord. He loves people. He's persistent and committed as he goes out with the gospel to these people. Some of us are in tough times, really, really tough times. 
And I want you to look at the time that you're in right now. And as much as you want to crawl in a hole in the fetal position and hide away from people, I want you to just maybe change your perspective a little bit. I want you to look at this tough time as an opportunity to share the good news with somebody else. I want you to begin to pray that the Lord would elevate the souls of the lost people that are in your life right now above your preferences for comfort and service and need for approval and importance and whatever else is missing from your life. We get so lost in these things that we don't have that we forget. I go to work tomorrow and like 80% of the people that I'm around don't know Christ. And God has given me a unique opportunity to talk to them out of my cave, out of my tough time, out of the worst place I can look at them and say, man, I don't know how I'd get through this if it wasn't for God. You have a unique opportunity to speak to people when you're broken and out of your pain. Our worst times might be the very best times to share the gospel. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your brokenness, to remember that. I want you to pray for boldness. That's something you've got to give Paul a spades in. He is just a bold man. And he's able to stand up and challenge the king about his beliefs and the things that he said. I want you to have in your head that Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Have that rolling in your head all the time. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. That means not your good works, not your kindness, right? Not your personal testimony. The work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross is the power of God unto salvation. I will not be ashamed. God, give me boldness. When these opportunities come my way, when I'm with my one or somebody else's one and I have a chance to say something, God, give me boldness. I've listened. I'm listening. I'm hearing their story. Now the door's open and I have a chance to step in. Give me the boldness to step through that door. So pray for that boldness and that lack of shame to kind of come on you. God has assigned a role for each of us. Paul had this particular role to be with these people at this time. He's given us a role, each one of us. Here's what I want you to understand. We have one, and we put names on here, and our names are up here. I left these up here on purpose. We said, everybody that put their name on a piece of paper, we said, I'm going to be the one to go take the gospel to somebody. God, use me. Let me lead blind Bartimaeus. Let me lead the blind people around me to see you. So we've kind of made these commitments, and I want you to really understand that, that we are somebody's one with the gospel. We have one that we're praying for and, and all that, But do you understand, and I want to connect the chains for you, there's some grandma somewhere that's praying for her son or grandson, and you're going to run across them this week. Grandma's one is Johnny. You work with Johnny. You can be the one for Johnny. Do you all understand that? That almost, I would say almost everybody that you come in contact with is somebody's one. Somebody is desperate for them to come to know the Lord. And you and I have been given the great privilege of rubbing shoulder with these people every day of our lives and potentially being the one who God from eternity past has said, you're the one I'm going to use. We all have some role to play. You may wish that your one gets to be your one, right? You're the one who gets to do the gospel thing with them. It may not be you. Your role with them might be prayer. And being just broken for this person in your heart and your soul. And never letting them go. And constantly placing them on the altar of God. Saying, God, save them. God, save them. God, save them. That might be your role. But for somebody else's one, you're the one. You're the one that God has set aside to give the truth and the light of Christ to them. 
We all have a role to play. Paul says, man, I've been rescued. I've been appointed. I'm a minister. I'm a witness. I've been sent. And he says this, and I want to prove myself obedient. He says that in his story. This is what God's done for me. And we could all say those same words. I've been rescued. I've been appointed by God. I've been made a minister of the gospel. I am his witness. He has sent me. God, make me faithful. Make me not fail in obedience to you. To prove myself in obedience to you. So how can we do this here? What can it look like? I'm going to throw out a bunch of stuff at this point. All these PowerPoints are always online. You can look at it later. So I'm going to kind of run through some of these things. How do we do this here? First one's alliterated. I wasn't going to alliterate it because I hate it, but it just landed that way. So I had to deal with it. Be personal. Always better personally, okay? And I know I've told you before, I had a professor in college, and he literally would tell us stories, and I can't double-check any of this stuff. He would tell us stories about having tracks in his car, and he would pray and let them fly out the window. <laughs> and he was just trusting that they would land by people who needed to hear him. And I swear to you, that was one of the stories he would tell us in, in seminary. Now, I've not done that particular thing. I've done a lot of other kind of crazy things. I haven't done that particular one, and God bless the providence of Jesus. I know he can do it that way. But I think most of us would have a story where I said, how did you come to know Christ? Some other human being is going to be involved in that. You know, maybe it's a parent or a friend or a pastor or somebody. Some other person's going to be involved in your story about how you've come to know Christ. It's personal. So we have the personal aspect to it. There's a practical aspect to it. We put so much weird spiritual pressure on ourselves when we think about this. It's very practical. Hey, you want to go get coffee? It's lunchtime. You want to go grab lunch with me? There's just this practical aspect of living life with people on, on a regular basis, you know? So it's practical. Be prepared. I'm all about the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and I think he will, and I think he'll give you the words. But on the other hand, you can be ready. You can be ready to talk about what God's done in your life. You can be ready to talk about biblical truth, about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's, it's really not that difficult to sort of be ready for that without feeling like a salesperson. Uh, it's a process. Some of us, maybe many of us in this room can say, man, I came to know God through Jesus Christ. March 22nd, 1984. That's when it happened for me. And some of us have a real specific time. There are a lot of us in this room who are like, I don't know when it happened. I just know that there was a time I didn't believe, and now I'm following Christ, and he's the Lord of my life. And there's not like a day or a time or whatever. And I want to encourage all of us in this room, probably those of us who came from a hardcore evangelical background, don't be bummed if you don't get to close the sale, man. God's working. The Holy Spirit's moving. Your job is to be faithful. Your job is to love them. Your job is to pour into them. Your job is to listen to them. Your job is just to give them truth and live truth out in their lives. That's our job. That's our role. That's our responsibility. It's a process that Christ is going to walk them through. All right? And we got to let that play out the way it's going to play out. And then the last thing I would say, and this probably plays into a little bit of being prepared, but, you know, be persuasive. Um. Everybody has this God-shaped void, okay? And, and I don't want to dig into that too much. But everybody has this hole in their hearts that only God can fill. But I do think there's a little bit of a uniqueness to that, how it manifests itself in each person's life. And there's a little bit of a knowledge 
that's already there. Romans chapter 1 tells us that even if somebody's coming from a completely pagan background, there's already a built-in knowledge of God in them. And I think you can appeal to that. In, in your attempts to talk to them and in your attempts to kind of connect with them, just like he does with Festus, he's like, or with King Agrippa, he's like, I know the king has heard these stories and you believe what's in the, in the prophets, right, king? So he appeals to some foreknowledge, some prior knowledge that Agrippa had. And he's like, hey, let me connect with you on this kind of God knowledge that's already there in you. So you can be a little more persuasive by doing that. It's called like a shared knowledge. You can kind of appeal to that. Tim Keller talks about starting small, working your way up to bigger, uh, more complete opportunities to share. He says the very first thing that he says, let him know you're following Christ. Some of us, this is the big hurdle, right? You're at work and everybody's like, hey, let's go get drunk after work. It's Friday. We're going to go party hard all night. And your answer is, no, thanks. I got to go wash my hair. (laughs) You know? And when somebody goes, why don't you ever go out and have drinks with us and party hard on Friday nights? And you never step in and go, I follow, I just follow Christ and I just don't think that's what he'd want me to do. I don't know if that's hard, but some of us, it's hard. It's tough just to kind of step through some of these open doors and just let people know, I'm following Christ. I'm a Christ follower. So the first thing you got to do is kind of let them know that you actually are following Christ. Um, Maybe you can introduce it, and we've tried to do this before. On this table back here, there are some of those devotional guides. And maybe you could sort of have that around, and you're like, man, you know, I follow Christ, and I'm reading this book right now, and it's really challenging me. Or I read this this morning. I had this time where I was reading from Scripture. And man, it just really challenged me on this or really brought up this idea about God. I hadn't thought about that before. And there's just natural entry points that we can kind of have in conversation to let people know that we follow Christ. Um, Let them know how your Christian faith impacts your life, right? Not just that you follow Christ, but again, I, I don't know how I would get through this if it weren't for Christ. I know God's got an answer for me. I don't know what it is but I know he's got an answer for me. I'm so glad that I can pray for my kids. I want to kill both of them right now, but man, I can pray for them and I know God hears my prayers. You know what I'm saying? There's just so many ways that we can just throw this stuff into conversations. We want it to be natural and organic and not pressure-filled. Don't feel like you have to give the gospel. Hey, you want to go get some drinks? No, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We'd like to accept them right now. <laughs> you don't have to shove the gospel you know, the sales pitch into everything, right? Don't feel like you got to have this pressure to kind of get the gospel in every single conversation, the full gospel, right? We want to be salt of the earth. We want to be the salt of the earth. That means everywhere we go, we're salty. Everywhere we go, we have this flavor about us that's different than the world around us. So we want to be salty all the time. Now, here's the thing about salt, and I don't want to kill this one. We are, our bodies are physiologically wired to crave salt. Much like sugar, it releases a dopamine in our brain. Who likes salty snacks? You'd prefer, oh my gosh, right? And then you put chocolate on that, oh, right? <laughs> anything, anything salty and sweet, oh, I'm so in, right? Our, our brains are wired to crave salty things. And Jesus looks at us and he says, be the salt of the earth. What an interesting thing. That Jesus looks at us and he says, be the kind of person that people crave to be around. Be the kind of person that people crave to go, wow, what is in their life? How do they live like that? How are they so consistent in their faith? How do they get up when they fail? 
wow, that is really amazing. I'd like to be around that more. Be the salt of the earth, man. Um, So I would just say to all of you, stay salty, my friends, right? (laughs) Let your faith walk be attractive to the people around you. Let your conversations be just natural, natural as possible. And while you're intentionally walking out your faith, let these things come up. I'm going to throw eight things at you. Ready? Ask your friends about their faith. How do I get into these conversations? How do I start this in my everyday life? Ask them about their faith. Maybe it just starts with, hey, do you, do you go to church somewhere? Where do you go to church? Tell me about that, man. How long have you been? You know, have you been in church for a long time? Did you grow up in church? Just kind of hear their stories. Listen, listen. Everybody in your life likes to talk about themselves. Everybody does. And very few people get heard. So if you are a willing audience, they will talk to you. So just ask a couple questions as you're getting to know somebody over lunch or coffee or just whatever. Talk to them. Ask them, where do you go? Or uh, ask them about their faith. Just listen to them. Second thing, listen to their problems. More often than not, as people are talking, they're going to tell you some part of what's going on in their life. And there's going to be a difficulty, a pain, you know, something like that. You can maybe ask at that point, hey, when I go tonight at, at home in the morning, when I, can I pray for you? It would be okay if I prayed for you about that. And that gives you an opportunity to circle back around and have another conversation. Hey, last week you said, and I prayed, what's going on? Right? You're listening. Hey, listen to your problems. Maybe you offer to pray. Third thing, share your problems with them and testify how God has changed your life. Man, I'm really struggling right now. Singleness is hard. Getting up and going to work every day at a job I hate, that's hard. I have, I've had a hard time with our kids recently. My wife and I had a difficult time. Let me tell you how God's just changing my life. Not perfection. Don't think again. You're not selling anything. You're talking to them about what God's done in your life. It's not ever going to look clean and, and tied up in a little bow and all that church junk that none of us are interested in. So don't quit selling it to people, you know? We just want to talk to people about the fact that I walk through everyday messy life with Jesus. And here's what my life looks like. So we want to hear their issues, kind of share some of your stuff, always seasoning in it with God's working in me. My faith is helping me through this. Maybe once you've heard their story, you could give them a book to read. Or maybe point into a video online. Say, man, I was really struggling with that. I watched that and it was really helpful. And I think it might help you where you're at. I read this book. Really powerful. I think maybe it might help you where you're at. Share your faith story. Now you're getting a little bit further in, and you can say, man, let me tell you how I came to know God the way that I know him. I love Christ, and maybe that sounds crazy to you, but let me tell you how that happened. You can tell them about your faith story. You can get into questions and objections. Now you've built a little bit of a relationship, and they're like, man, I've never understood this whole Trinity thing. I've never understood how God could be, or Jesus could be God and man. You know, I don't understand how when he died that that How does that affect me at all? And they're bringing up these questions. You're like, I don't know either, you know. (laughs) But you can start to look into it and get back with them and talk to them about some of the stuff within Christianity because most people do have some questions. You can invite them to a church event. Now, the reason I like this little list is that that's not number one. I want to, this is a weird contradictory thing I live with every day. I don't care if they ever come into this box. And you shouldn't either. We want to see people come to a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If it happens in this box, awesome. But there's about 80 other boxes I can point them to where it could happen just as easily. I think God does some pretty cool things here, and I love being here. 
But my gosh, I don't want you to have either pressure point of, I have to lead everybody to Jesus, or I have to get them to go to the sanctuary fellowship. Does that make sense? Does that help anybody? Because it helps me. I have lots of conversations with people. I'm like, man, I don't think we'd work for you, but there's a great one right there, and it'd be awesome. I think it would really work for you, right? So maybe you can invite them to a church event, a ladies' event, something going on for the family. Um, Could be a Sunday morning. You know, I don't know what might hit somebody, but you could say, hey, like Trevor said last week, I'm going to go to church this Sunday. I'll come pick you up, and we'll go grab lunch afterwards, right? Some of us have made Sundays about two things, and they're almost neck and neck. Well, three things. One, attending church. Two, family. Three, football. And some of us, that's inverted, (laughs) you know? Man, listen, just like we go back to the first thing I talked about, we have to We have to push down our desires for what Christianity has to look like in our lives and elevate the fact that people are going to hell. Well, Sundays we go have ham and cheese with Granny. Granny, you know what? I've invited this friend to come to church, and I'm going to take him out to lunch that Sunday. Lose a little bit with Granny, might gain a soul in heaven. Right? Does this make sense to everyone? So this is really practical. We have to push down our desires for what we want church to look like. Church is about family. Not really. Church is about Christ. Okay? I think there are repercussions in our family, but ultimately this place and what we're doing is about telling people about the fact that we can have a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we have to push down our desires for what we want Christianity to be about and elevate the fact that there are people who don't know him. I've asked them to come to church. I've done all this stuff. I've built a relationship. Maybe now you can go, hey, I'm reading through John. Gospel of John's always a great place to start. I'm reading through the book of John. At lunch, I'm going to, would you like to come? I'm going to look at this chapter, and I'd really think it might speak to you. Would you just hang out with me, and we can look at the Bible together? And some of you are like, wait a minute, Joe. I pay you to do this. Your job is for me to bring people in here, and you're the salesman. You've got to close the deal. I am still looking for that in here. I think my job, according to Timothy, is to equip you to be ministers of the gospel of Christ. So, yes, I am absolutely, completely throwing this back on you. Right? Because I think that's what Jesus did. What was his plan? What's his, what's his plan for 2,000 years? I think it's sloppy, and I don't understand why he did it. His plan for 2,000 years has been knuckleheads take the gospel out to the world. The disciples, we read about these guys in the gospel. They're just, you know, they're janky, man. And he's like, hey, the whole weight of the church rests on you. You're the foundations of the church, guys. See ya. I'll be with you. Holy Spirit's going to go with you. Go do it. Right? And we inherit that mission. We inherit all that's ours. So we're supposed to be the ones that are out there doing it. All right, so that's one way you can kind of get into it. I think you can be prepared. Somebody, I don't remember who talked about this several years ago. You should be able to talk to somebody about the gospel on a napkin at a restaurant. You should be able to just simply, clearly explain to someone, here's what it means to follow Christ. Here's how that happens on a napkin in a restaurant. So I'm going to give you a quick one that you can kind of run through. This is from Contagious Christian. It's called Do Versus Done. Religion is spelled do, D-O, and it's all about trying to do enough to please God. The trouble is we don't know if we've ever done enough, and the Bible tells us us that we can never do enough. 
But Christianity, see now I'm drawing a line between religion and Christianity. Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E. Jesus has done what we could never do. He lived the perfect life, died on a cross to pay for all of our sins. All the wrong stuff that we've done, Jesus died to take it away from us. But it's not enough to just know that. You have to receive what he has done. We have to ask Jesus to forgive us and to be the leader of our lives for the rest of our lives. Then you can ask them what they think about that, whether they understand the difference between do and done and see if they are experiencing a need for Jesus Christ. That was two and a half minutes. I've just laid a lot out. I've drawn something on a napkin. I've said, hey, does this make sense to you? They're like, I don't know. I don't know if I get that. Take it with you. Think about it. We could talk about it again. The old Billy Graham model where you have a gulf in between us and there's a cliff over here and a cliff over here and it crosses the bridge that goes across it to get somebody from here to God. It's another great one to use on a napkin. Easy, simple ways, but be prepared. If you start praying like this and you start really giving yourself to this, God's going to go, yes, thank you for coming on my mission. And he's going to start opening doors. And you're going to walk into these places and you'll be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Be prepared. Be ready for it. All right? As we begin to pray this way and put our lives aimed at what he's doing. So verse 28 is interesting. Paul's confronted Agrippa and he's like, hey, Agrippa, I know you believe this too, right? Agrippa replies to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And I think some of our texts say, you almost persuaded me. Like, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm almost there. And I think it's a little tongue-in-cheek in what he's saying here. But I also think it's a testimony to the fact that the Spirit's moving in what Paul's saying and what he's doing. So how can people be almost persuaded? Do you have some friends or family like that? Like, they're not, they're not believers. They're not. And you, as the longer you talk to them, the more clear it is. But they're really close. You know what I mean? And maybe they're still confused, and there's some things that don't make sense. But they get, how does somebody get to that point where they're almost persuaded. I want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, the gospel is not, is not primarily an intellectual pursuit. I can argue with you and lay out a fantastic logical argument about God and truth and Jesus and the historicity of it all. That's not going to get you there because our problem isn't in our mind. Our problem's in our hearts. So it's not primarily an intellectual pursuit. We are blind and dead The gospel goes against the glory of man. How can somebody be almost persuaded? Because the gospel's offensive. It offends me being really awesome and my need to have somebody prop me up and for God to look at me and go, you're really cool. The gospel says that's none of that's true. So it flies against us. Even though it sounds sweet on the one hand, it's hard on the other hand. So it goes against my glory and it goes against my sin, which I generally really like. So the gospel comes against those things, which makes it kind of difficult to kind of take that last step, which is why the Holy Spirit has to move. It's why the Holy Spirit has to call people, because it's not this primarily intellectual, argue somebody into heaven kind of a thing. So what is the condition of our ones? And I think we've lost this a little bit as we've moved away in the church from talk about hell, um, talking about horrible aspects of, of what the Bible talks about, people who are separate from God. What is the condition of my one? Here's the real trick for us, man, because I see my one and I have this name up here and I look at them and I'm like, man, they're nice people and they have nice cars and they close and they live in a good neighborhood and they're funny and I love them and they're my friend or they're my family member. Here's what I want to say about you or about the the people who don't know Christ. And I I want to be clear about this because this should begin to break our hearts. 
They're lost. They're dead. They cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Their wills, their wanter, is bent towards doing evil. Jesus said they love darkness. And they are on their way to eternal destruction. So we're not, at the end of the day, talking about books or where you go to church or what you do on the weekends or if you drink too much or you don't drink at all. Secondary, tertiary, unimportant issues at the end of the day. The point of the fact is is that we are surrounded by people who Jesus looks at and evaluates their hearts and says, you don't know me. And this is what Scripture says about them. That is their condition. So why are we concerned with just one? Why do we have this giant sign? We've pulled it out over the years. If there's millions of people and thousands and tens of hundreds of thousands of people in our area who don't know Christ, why are we just kind of concerned with just this one? Because there are thousands of people who live in this North Richmond area. Let's just say around us. Hundreds of people that might go to Friends of North Richmond and get ministered to and they serve them and get reached. We think over the years, that we can make a difference in just one trailer park. Jenny Lane, 90 homes. Let's say there's 300 people that live in there. We think we can make a difference just in that one area to be better and more effective. We're going to pray for everybody in North Richmond to come to know the Lord, but we're going to go out and give ourselves away for the sake of the lost ones that are in Jenny Lane because we think we can be more effective that way. There are 28,000 28, this breaks my heart, 2015, 28,000 kids in foster care in the state of Texas. I can't do anything about 28,000 kids. There are 38 of them at Carter's Kids that we might be able to do something about, that we might be able to love well and tell them about the love of Jesus and what it looks like to have a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can be better at that. But our efforts and our prayers are going to be with that one. And some of you have gotten even more specific, like you've got one kid and you're pouring yourself into them. God bless each of you. The other thing I want to point out here, man, is that not all eyes are opened. We would look at Felix, just this story. Felix, Agrippa, and Bernice, these people that are named in here. Their eyes weren't open, as far as we know through Paul's presentation of the gospel. But here's the thing to remember. We are not called to open these eyes. We're just here to show them that there's a switch in what it might look like if we turn the lights on. Don't be deterred. Just because you've been praying and you've been witnessing and you've been trying and you've been building a relationship what seems like forever, you're not failing. You're not failing if you don't convert somebody. Here's when we fail, Christian. When we don't love people around us that God's put in our lives, when we don't pray for them, when we don't live out the gospel, when we don't share with them, And we're not asking for God to use us to just help one. That's when we fail. When we've turned Christianity into us being comfortable and getting more comfortable in our relationship with God, when that becomes our primary primary focus and we're no longer focused on those who don't know, that's when we fail as Christians. We want our hearts to be just broken for one person. So yeah, we want to be prepared and flexible and passionate and committed and devoted We want to do all those things. But man, we got to be broken in our hearts for that one. Maybe it's our one, but maybe it's the one that somebody else has been praying for. God, use me. 
Just use me for the sake of that one. Use me. There's nobody beyond the reach of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Some of us are like, man, my one, woo, way, way out there. There's nobody that's that far away. I want to tell you, man, Agrippa, King Agrippa that we read about here, his grandfather's the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. That's his grandfather. His father killed the apostle James. Very likely, Agrippa was in an incestuous relationship with his sister, Bernice. And Paul stands there because at the foot of the cross, everybody's equal. And he says, hey, have you heard? Nobody's too far. Nobody's too far gone. The gospel, the good news of having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is for everyone. And your one's not too far gone. Those of us at the bottom are the ones who are most likely to receive the gospel. I want us to spend some time in prayer. We're going to close our time here. J.I. Packer said a great prayer. He talked about lost people, and he said, here's how to pray for the lost. Save them. Open the eyes of their understanding. Soften their hard hearts. Renew their natures. Bring them to faith. Move their will to receive Jesus as their Savior. Now, just would you bow your heads with me? We're going to go into a time of response. And I, I want to ask this question very sincerely, and really nobody's looking, and that's mostly because I want people to feel free to respond, okay? So nobody's looking around. And if you would say, Pastor Joe, I have someone. I got a one. And man, if, if I felt like somebody could reach them, I would give my all for them, man. I would go, I would do anything to see this person come to know Jesus. Would you just put your hand up for me and just leave it up for a second? Maybe it's a family member or a friend or coworker, but you say, I've got one and it, it's killing me that they don't know you. They don't know Christ. Keep your hand up for just a second. I'm gonna pray through this prayer and if you're gonna pray for your one, would you just keep your hand up and pray along with me? And, and you can echo me if you want to, that's fine. We're going to pray for this person. Do you have their name in your head, their, their face? Here we go. God, save them. Put their name in there. Save her. Save him. Open the eyes of their understanding. What's her name? What's his name? Put it in there. By name, specific. Soften their hard heart. What's her name? God, soften her heart. What's his name? Soften his hard heart heart. Renew their nature. God, would you give them a new nature? She needs a new nature. He needs a new nature. By name, put their name in there. Bring them to faith. Move their will to receive Jesus as their Savior. Here's the big one, right? God, this is it. Renew their nature, and God, move their will to want to come after you. Can you say their names, man? Would you say their name out loud? Would you just say their name? Give it to the Lord. Who is this person? Big prayers, big commitments. You can put your hands down. Last thing we're going to end with here. Jimmy's going to sing. You can sing along with him. He's going to lead us in some worship and commitment. As we're singing, can you just pray, God, break my heart again for this person, this one. 
as your heart is broken, Father, break my, my heart. As you've given everything to see them come to you, God, use me. Let me give my everything to see them come. God, I'm surrounded by ones every day. My neighbor is somebody's one. My coworker is somebody's one. Use me to be the one to bring the gospel to them, to live this out, to build a relationship, to listen better, and to give them, to show them what it looks like to love God through a relationship, loving relationship with Jesus. So you can be one for somebody else's one, and man, we've got to be broken over our ones. You may not be the person that God uses to bring your one to Christ, but my goodness, by prayer, the Holy Spirit can use you to push that person along to come to know Christ. Amen? So some of us right now, we're just going to be a time of response. You still need to come write a name on the sign. God gave you a name and you've not done it. You're going to get up and get a marker and write their name up here. There's altars that we've put up here. I want to tell you, there's names on these, these sheets and all of us, everybody that was here last week, you wrote your name, you said, I'll be one. Use me. Use me. We're going to renew that commitment. We're going to say, some of us in confession, we're going to say, God, I have mismanaged the relationships you've given me in my life. I've been a bad steward. And I've had opportunities to talk to people and I've not done it. Forgive me and give me another chance. Make me faithful. Prove my, I want to prove myself to be obedient in the mission you've given me. So right now,